0: Let's pray. Father, thank you for the words of that song that depict the truth of what Jesus our Lord went through for the salvation of every single sinner. That includes us in here tonight. So we give you praise and thanksgiving. We pray now as we look to your word that you would speak through your very imperfect and feeble servant. Apply these words to the hearts of those you brought here tonight, that they would be built up and edified and strengthened to walk with you this week, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated. I have no idea what technical problems were taking place. I bet you one of you probably does know what was going on. I just don't know enough of how computers work. But um, so forgive us as uh, sorry for the distraction during the song and for having to see me or Dom go back there. We'll figure it out by next week. But uh, so tonight we're continuing on in our series in Ecclesiastes chapter uh, six. We're starting at tonight six verse ten. And we're reading through chapter 7, uh, verse 14. Uh, So here's the passage uh, in its entirety. It reads like this Whatever has come to be has already been named, and it is known what man is, and that he is not able to dispute with one stronger than he. The more words, the more vanity, and what is the advantage to man? For who knows? What is good for man while he lives the few days of his vain life, which he passes like a shadow? For who can tell man what will be after him under the sun? A good name is better than precious ointment in the day of death than the day of birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter. For by sadness of face the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. It is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fools. This also is vanity. Surely oppression drives the wise into madness, and a bribe corrupts the heart. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning. And the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry. For anger lodges in the hearts of fools. Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. Wisdom is good with an inheritance, an advantage to those who see the sun. For the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money and the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. Consider the work of God, what he has made crooked. Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? In the day of prosperity, be joyful. And in the day of adversity, consider. God has made the one as well as the other so that man may not find anything that will be after him. Here ends the reading of God's word. Well, today we are entering a new section of Ecclesiastes, and frankly, um, this section that we're entering into is filled with the author making sort of shorter statements detailing various pieces of wisdom he's attained over the years. Now, I don't know if you noticed that when we were going through this, but it's just kind of choppy, little phrases here and there. And there's going to be a lot of repetition if we were to read through the rest of the book just straight through. And so we're going to start taking little pieces here and there so that we don't repeat the same verses again and again or the same ideas again and again uh, as we go through it. Um, In the 17 verses that make up our passage uh, tonight, there could be many, many different things we talk about. It's sort of a hodgepodge. But let me, if I can narrow it down to one thing, I think the theme of the verses that kind of unites it all can be found in verses 13 and 14. So I want you to listen again to these words. Quote, Consider the work of God, who can make straight what he has made crooked. In the day of prosperity, be joyful, and in the day of adversity, consider, God has made one as well as the other, so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. The point the preacher is making in those two verses I think is pretty clear. The point the preacher is making is that God is in charge and the future as much as we might try is unknowable. As a matter of fact, the text says it's set up by God in such a way that you can't know the future. So then As is so often repeated throughout scripture, we're called to live in that reality, in that tension that life calls us to. So how do do we do that? Well, really the passage is about how do we instead avoid reality? How is it that we avoid that reality that we can't figure out what's coming and we don't know everything that's ahead in our life? Well, I think first of all, we see we avoid reality when we refuse to accept our limitations. We refuse to accept our limitations. Listen again to verse 10 of chapter 6. Whatever has come to be has already been named and it is known what man is and that he is not able to dispute with one stronger than he. Stop it right there. Who is the one stronger than man in the passage? Well, most scholars assert based on the rest of scripture, that the one stronger than man is indeed God. So the point that he's making is pretty clear. It's that if, if we would live this life in reality, we must accept our limitations as parts of God's creation. You are limited to one space. He is in all places at all times, the scriptures tell us. You are bound by time. He is timeless. You have limited knowledge. He is all-knowing. Again, you are creation. He is creator. Problems start for us like they did with our very first parents in the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis. Genesis. When we start to believe the opposite is true, that we're in charge, that we get to direct our own path, that we control our destiny. That wasn't the appeal, you know, that I mean the serpent made to Adam and Eve. The appeal to them was hey, you know, I mean, God's holding out on you, and you can be like God. If you eat of this fruit, which incidentally, uh, you know, for whatever reason in our art, we have them eating an apple. Probably it wasn't an apple. It, maybe it was probably a fig. After all, that's what they tried to clothe themselves with, right? Fig leaves. I don't know. But anyhow, side note uh, our problem is that uh, sin, the root of sin, is us thinking that we can be in charge, that we can be God refusing to acknowledge our limitations. So, uh, you know, I, I just watched a documentary the other day. I, I'm a kind of a documentary geek at times, when I have the time. I watched a documentary the other day called The Devil We Know. Anybody familiar with this, by chance? I think it's fairly new, but it's on uh, Netflix and whatever else is out there, Prime and stuff, I think. Uh, and what the documentary shows is that in spite of corporate leaders at the company DuPont knowing that there were significant health risks like cancer, birth defects, and other problems connected to the making of Teflon with a specific chemical in Teflon, especially if it got into the water supply, they decided to go forward with the production and manufacturing of it anyway because it was of course insanely profitable. Well of course it did get into the water supply and now at least according to the experts interviewed in the documentary there is not a baby born in America without traces of this particular chemical, C8, the main chemical in Teflon, flowing through their blood. It's just a part of who we are now. You see, I mean, there's an arrogance there. There's an, we, can, we think we can control our environments and forget our limitations. Recently, China just admitted to genetically modifying babies. I don't know what's going to come of that. None of us really do. What could that produce? As we continue down the course of our artificial intelligence, what is it, what's going to happen? What what are the results going to be? There's all sorts of things that were sort of on the precipice of discovering and there's a good side to that. Like, I'm not this curmudgeonly sort of Luddite person that's just like, oh, no, technology, go back to the typewriter, darn it. Although, after tonight, maybe. <laughs> after tonight, maybe the typewriter's the way, way to go. But I, 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 I don't have a problem with technologically advancing, but I do think we ought to quote that famous philosopher Jeff Goldblum in Jurassic Park every once in a while who said, you were so preoccupied with whether or not you could... You didn't stop to think if you should. Talking, of course, about the reintroduction of dinosaurs into the world in that movie. We haven't gotten there yet. Now, of course, it's easy to pick on scientific advancement because that's what movies do, and we watch movies, and we're like, the Terminator's going to get us, we're all going to die out. You know, that's what movies kind of... But listen, we do this every day in big and small ways all the time. Failing to remember, we are much more limited... And we realize, again, shoot for the stars. Yes, try and go beyond what you thought you could do. Fine, fair enough. But do it humbly with the question in your mind Am I trying to do something that's specifically reserved for the one stronger than I? As he goes on to say in verse 12, for who knows? What is good for man while he lives the few days of his own life or his vain life which he passes like a shadow. So I think that's the first way we avoid reality. We avoid reality when we refuse to accept our limitations and acknowledge who we are in the grand scheme of things and the big scope of things. But I think secondly, the preacher says we avoid reality by refusing to accept hardship. Refusing to confront hardship. Hardship. Let me read for you again what the preacher says. A good name is better than precious ointment and the day of death than the day of birth. Does that seem extraordinarily sad to you? (laughs) That last line, the day of death is better than the day of birth? What is he saying? Let me me go on. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better, greater than laughter. For by sadness of face the heart is made glad. What is he talking about? The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth, or, or pleasure is what mirth means. It is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise man than to hear the song of fools. Let me just, let me stop there. Let's take some of these piece by piece. What does he mean? As disparate as these instructions seem at first, what is he talking about? A, you know, better, a good name is better than precious ointment. Well, that's another way of saying a good reputation is better than having good stuff. In those days, ointment was an expensive luxury. His point was when he says a, a good name is better than precious ointment, is that it, it may feel nice to have luxury and to have nice things, but in the end, it's better to have a good reputation. Which is harder to obtain? The good reputation. Why? Because to have a good name amongst your peers and amongst your neighbors takes time. That only, that only happens after they've gotten to know you a little bit and they can see that you're a trustworthy person with integrity. So yeah, good name is better than having the luxury. He says instead of avoiding mourning and bereavement with laughter and pleasure, to use a modern phrase, embrace the cactus. Embrace the cactus. Why? I mean, I love laughter and pleasure. I think you do, too. I mean, I see us after church. We're gathering around food, and there's lots of laughter, and that's good. I don't want, if I'm not going to come in there after service and be like, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. Hey, what is all this noise I'm hearing, this laughter nonsense? No. Bible clearly says, no, 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 you have to take it in context. There's plenty of times in Scripture where both of these things are extolled as good things, even in this same book. But I think what he's saying, if I could read between the lines, is that real growth in life, even real appreciation for life, comes not by pretending that hardship and mourning and death don't exist. By covering them up with laughter and pleasure and all sorts of other easy things, but by embracing the reality that they do, yes, that's where strength is formed he says, instead of avoiding rebuke, receive the wisdom in it. You ever had somebody correct you on anything, and instantly you found yourself getting defensive? Like, even if you've you ever done, like, the, the, the smile, but it's like, through you're like, oh, <laughs> you know. Like, you, like, it's clear that you're, like, in your, you're feeling it inside, but you're trying not to show it. I've often been there when people have corrected me about something. And he said, no, 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 it's take it. Like, take that. It's good for you to hear that rebuke. It's good for you to listen to that sometimes. Now, it may be that sometimes somebody's attacking you and you have a right to defend yourself. I mean, we live in a world where unfair attacks happen. That's fine, fair enough, and I understand that. But you also know You've had times where you're like, eh, yeah, maybe they, yeah, they probably have a good point. Eh, yeah, maybe there's something to it. Do so you get a little time to reflect? Do that. He says, and you won't avoid reality. When I was first training to be a pastor under my mentor, Pastor, he gave me some very wise advice about how to live long in the pastoral ministry. And this was his advice. Eric, learn to say you're sorry first. Learn to say you're sorry. Now why? Well, it's amazing how much you diffuse a situation. When you just kind of go out and say, you know what, I could, I could be wrong here. I'm sorry. If there's anything I did that may have been wrong, it just brings it all down. So this big point is like, instead of running away from the reality of hardship and difficulty and death and sorrow and mourning, embrace it because it is a fact. And even if you've never really experienced it, you will. It's a fact of human existence. So embrace it. Just embrace the reality of it. Accept it. And that leads to the last way he addresses us, avoiding reality. And that is is refusing to accept the present for what it is. In other words, living by nostalgia. What is nostalgia? Well, the dictionary on the Google machine defines it this way. A sentimental longing or wistful affection for the past, typically for a period or place with happy personal associations. End quote. Here's how the author of Ecclesiastes says it. Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. I think the way people tend to say it sometimes now is something like, oh man, those were the good old days. Those were the good old days. Haven't you all had times where you've been tempted to listen to the voice of nostalgia when you're going through a difficult time? To look back at some sort of, idealized time in your mind where things were really good? The preacher says, gang, that, that voice is not telling the truth to you. And it's true. You may have had some good times in the past, but nostalgia, nostalgia tends to gloss over the hardships of the past and make it seem much grander than it ever was. And it does it with all sorts of things, with TV shows and with movies and with past relationships and with, uh, you know, addictions. I mean, whatever it is, whatever it might be, nostalgia can find the way to smooth over all the hardship and make it seem like everything was pretty awesome. Now I'm going to let you in on a little secret just between you and I, so don't tell anybody I've admitted this to you. But as much as I love In-N-Out Burger and as much as it's obviously superior to any other fast food hamburger that's ever been made by the human species, I will admit to you that part of why I love it so much is the voice of nostalgia. I'm a California kid and especially since I can't have it out here on the East Coast The thought of the burger reminds me of only awesome things. It reminds me of great things about my childhood. And yet when I actually have the burger, it's never quite as good as I remember it. It's still amazing. So don't get me, don't just stop right now. Don't, don't, don't go there. But if I'm honest, it's never, it never lives up to quite what I have in my mind before that first bite because there's a lot of nostalgia loaded into that. And it, 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 the author says, that you, don't let, you can avoid reality really easy that way. If you're always looking to the past, if you're always looking to something that, that reminds you of, a, of the good old days, no, 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 don't go there. Face the reality of the present, whatever it is. But here's the question I have. As we begin to, to wrap up the talk here tonight... If we cannot know what the future holds, as the preacher of Ecclesiastes says, then really, what's the point of embracing reality at all? Why? I mean, what if this world is all there is and we just become space dust that eventually ends up back in the ether somewhere? I mean, what if there really isn't any meaning. Why avoid reality? Or why not avoid reality with pleasure and more laughter and more avoidance? David Letterman was being interviewed by Norm MacDonald. Yes, I got that right. Norm MacDonald was the interviewer. David Letterman was being interviewed by him. And I remember David Letterman saying at a very serious moment, a rare serious moment in the interview, that the only way a person could endure the harsh reality of this world as if they had their delusions. Had to. Many others have said the same thing in a very nihilistic time. And so here's what I think the Christian answer ultimately is because you've got to remember the author of Ecclesiastes is not writing from that perspective yet. He's sort of writing from like, hey, this is what I've learned about life It's pretty cynical, but what what would be the Christian answer to why we should embrace reality? Well, I think if if we would have the humility to embrace our limitations, then then we must know one who has none is with us. If we would have the strength to embrace hardship, then we must be empowered by one who has embraced the hardship and nonetheless has shown that that it has been beaten. If you would embrace the present, then you must be comforted by one who knows indeed the future and what it holds. And the good news of the Christian story is that Jesus Christ is that one. For he alone has no limitations but is unlimited with power. For he alone has embraced the ultimate hardship in his crucifixion by paying the penalty for all our sins. And yet has beaten the hardship through his resurrection. He alone does tell us what the future will hold, and that future is the place he is preparing without the limitations of the ignorance, sickness, and death that we face down here. Alcoholics Anonymous has understood for quite some time that if people are going to find the strength to embrace reality as it is, which really that's what the program's all about. They would need to be submitted to a, quote, higher power and be surrounded by and encouraged by other people that have faced the reality of their addiction before. Thus, when when someone starts off in the program, they very quickly are hooked up with a sponsor, someone who has been sober for longer than them, obviously, to help strengthen them and encourage them in their fight. They never walk this walk alone. And you just can't overstate how important it is having this kind of encouragement from another who has been there is if you would embrace reality. The Bible says that for those who believe, Jesus Christ is with you at all times and he is holding you up. That he, the victor over sin, death, and hell, has given you victory over sin, death, and hell. And so yes, you can face the day in front of you. It's so important to know that you're not in this walk alone if you would face reality. Pastor John Zoll said one time he was at an AA meeting, and at the beginning, they went around and gave people an opportunity to share any special anniversaries of sobriety. And one man stood up, you know, this is pretty a common thing at an AA meeting, one man stood up and, and said, well, I'd like to announce that this week uh, I'm celebrating 41 years Sober the room broke out in applause anybody else celebrating anniversary today a man raised his hand and said this week I'm celebrating one year sober again the room broke out in applause and then they switched gears and they asked is anybody here new tonight is anybody new here Room was still for a few moments, and then one man kind of shakily raised his hand very timidly and said, I'm new here. I've got I've got eight days of not drinking. And louder than any applause that had been given for the 41 years of sobriety guy or the one year sober guy, the room erupted. this man who was only eight days sober now why do I share, share that story because in order for us to embrace reality we need to know we need to know that we are surrounded by that sort of encouragement yes from Jesus our Lord but also from one another That whether we're 41 years sober, whether we're 8 days sober, whatever the case may be in our walk, that we are going to have people with us, right alongside of us. And just then, as we are supported and held up by our Lord Jesus Christ, we might just be able to face the reality that's before us. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, thank you that we are not called to embrace the cactus alone. We're not called to live this life alone. The author of Ecclesiastes is mystified about how we should live in light of the fact that we can't predict anything. But the Lord Jesus Christ tells us that one day all things will be made new. That our future is in his hands. And so we, Lord, we look to you for all that we need to embrace whatever comes our way. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we continue-